Take your Bibles and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, if you would. The blessed life. That's what we're going to look at for a few weeks together. If you had to say, I don't have the mic, it's not going to do it at this point, but give me in one sentence, and I'm not asking you to say a biblical or Christian view, what would, what would, if you asked anyone on the street and they say, hey, describe for me or define for me the blessed life, what is the blessed life? How would you describe it? Yes. Okay, so nice house, nice car, nice job. That's the blessed life. What about, what would else, how would else, maybe someone else would say it? What would you think? The blessed life, happy life, we might say. Yes, Craig. You have no concerns. Okay, no concerns, no major worries, no real heavy burdens. Everything's just really nice. Bev. Okay, you you would be in good health. That's the blessed life. What else? Anyone? Any other thoughts? What do you think people are saying to? Yes. What's that? Oh yeah, we would say that, right? Yeah, knowing Christ. That don't steal my stuff, man. (laughs) Right? What would the world say is the uh, blessed life all about? Anybody? Yes. Okay, debt-free, money in the bank, taking it easy, the rich man. I've got goods for many years, eat, drink, and be merry, right? Now, I read an article this week, actually more of a survey by Pew Research, and they said that one-third of Americans are very happy. And You know, America, we're obsessed with happiness. <laughs> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's an an inalienable right in America. So it's on everybody's mind. Another half of the people said they're pretty happy. 15% said they weren't happy. Um, the word blessed in Scripture means happy, fortunate. Um, some commentators said full shalom, meaning you are living out totally the way that you were designed to be. I mean, it is you're living exactly to the fullest how God made you to be. But you read the research in the survey I read, and it said nearly 50% of very happy people that they surveyed made $100,000 a year or more. Now, dramatically, it dropped. If you made $30,000 a year or less, only 20-some percent of them said they were happy at all. So... My grandmother used to say, you can't buy happiness, and someone might argue with her that they think they can in this world anyways. It's an aphorism, but we all know what that means. But the survey said that there are direct correlations. They wouldn't go so much as to say causes, but they said there are correlations between how people determined whether they were happy. And they said that the most influential thing was life events. Like, did you get that promotion? Did you fight with your spouse? And all those types of things. And so the survey listed out all these things 
and categories. And they said, people who worship frequently and go to church are more happy than those who don't. So you heard that, right? So the more services you're at, see how I'm using that, right? If you want to be happy, see, you stay home, you're not going to be happy, I'm telling you. Rich people, happier, more happier than poor people. Retirees, more happy than those who still go to work. <laughs> married people, more happy than unmarried. People who have, no, I don't, people who have children, more happy than those who did not. Listen to this. Pet owners were more happy than those who didn't have pets. So come to church and bring your dog. You couldn't get any better than that, right? And believe it or not, see, Chris, you're going to like this one. They said it didn't matter. You were equally happy whether you had a dog or a cat. They said it didn't matter how old you were. It didn't matter how, if you were male or female. None of it changed based on age or gender. They said if you lived in the suburbs, you were more likely to be happy than if you lived in the city. They said if you lived down south where it was warmer, you were more inclined to be happier than you lived up here or somewhere in the very north, and it was very cold. If you were healthier, you were more happy. Now, these things are just somewhat logical. I mean, are you going to be as happy if you're you know, really sick as if you're great health? Of course not. So, but what you learn from all those is not so much, hey, I got to become all the positives on those, you know. No, what it means is to the world, blessedness, happiness is circumstantial. It's situational. But here's what you're going to find, and I'm going to go over it with you. In Luke's gospel, blessing or the word blessed, number one, it's used 25 times, more than all three of the other Gospels combined. So if you want to know about the happy life, the blessed life, you better read Luke. So, and here's the truth. If you are going to be blessed according to Luke's Gospel, it's not about a correlation, a life event. It's about a connection, a Lord event, I call it. Happiness is not situational, it's Christological, in other words, here's Luke's message from beginning to end and everything in between. You want to be happy? You better have Christ at the center of everything. That's a theme in Luke's gospel. Blessing, blessed, it's either used either directly or indirectly. And I looked at all 25 passages and all the words that have blessed in them. And I found out this, that if you are blessed by God vertically, then you will give blessings to others horizontally. And you will give, so it goes both ways in Scripture. Um, the word blessing to God or bless God is used in chapter 1, verse 64, and it ends the entire book in the last two verses, 24, 51, and 53. So you could almost say that blessing God, how do you get to the place where you bless God, you find your happiness in God more than anything else? I looked at all the verses, and here's an application I came up with. Anyone in any situation can be happy. It's not whether you're rich or poor. It's not whether you're married or unmarried. It's not whether you have children or you don't have children, whether you're healthy or you don't have health. All the correlations melt away, not because they're not influential, but they are not primary if you have the connection. See, the connection trumps the correlation. And when you look at Luke, you're going to find, as we study it the next few weeks, it is your connection to Jesus 
that gives you blessedness. The happiness that everyone's looking for from the influential life events and the correlations that seemingly, for at least for a while, make people happy are not what sustains it. You're going to find in our text and the ones that we read in the future, Elizabeth speaks blessing twice to Mary and once once to Mary, once to God. Zacharias says blessed. Simeon in the Christmas story, the Christmas Beatitudes, he says it. An unnamed woman blesses God. Multitudes in the crowd bless his name when he walks in as the king on the triumphal entry. 20 out of 28 times, though, only 8 out of 28 are talked, blessing only is spoken by people, but 20 out of 28 all come from the mouth of Jesus. Not only is he the center of being happy, not only is he the center of blessing, but he will tell you exactly how you can have it. So you, don't, you can read the book of Luke, and you don't have to be in question. You don't have to say, well, what should I go after? If I really want to be happy, what can I really do to have it? What must my life be like? You don't have to look at a Pew service, I mean, survey, research survey at all. You just have to look at the pages of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke and listen to what Jesus says. Now, you would say automatically, I think, because I'm thinking, I'm making this sermon up, and I'm asking myself, that sounds so easy. Almost everyone here, right? I'm already connected to Pastor, into Jesus, Pastor Walker, but I'm telling you, I'm not always so happy, right? Being connected to Jesus doesn't make happiness automatic. It doesn't make it guaranteed. There still are life events, right? There are still things that threaten and definitely influence us. But being connected to Jesus is the most important thing if you want happiness. Now you'd say, duh. Really, though? It's not really duh, is it? Because do you do it? If you know that being connected to Jesus and staying connected to Jesus and making him the center of everything is it, then why don't we do it more? Why don't we? Why don't we teach our children more? Why are we in a generation that knows very little that has been raised in church and have a very difficult time on a daily basis and the average normal everyday circumstances finding their happiness in him. Why do we have to have it in money and power and clothes and cars and sex and, and fame and Facebook and social? Why is it that we go everywhere almost but him if it's so obvious? And so before we get started, let me tell you this. It sounds so easy But for us, and often our children, especially as they grow older, it isn't that easy. So is your happiness due to correlations or the connection? Is it more situational or is it more Christological? What influences your happiness? Life events or lordy events? Someone said, disconnect from Jesus and you disconnect from happiness. And maybe, even as Christians... The levels of unhappiness that we face, the discouragement, the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the depression, maybe all of those expressions of a, are disconnects from the source of true happiness. It's amazing the farther we get away from him, even as believers, and the more that we disconnect from him on a daily basis, the more unhappy we really are. It should be obvious, but often it's not, and maybe you've experienced that as well. 
Blessing in Luke's gospel, let me put it this way, I think it's already up there. Blessing in Luke's gospel goes both directions. I said that just a minute ago. Vertical to horizontal and horizontal to vertical. And all the passages that you read, take a concordance, look up the word blessing or blessed. And you'll find that God blesses people, Jesus blesses people, and the people who are connected to him always bless back. So let me tell you something about happiness that I've researched on a lost level, is that people who want to be happy are consumed with themselves. They are consumed with themselves, that they want happiness at any cost, and they will hurt people, do things, whatever they have to do to get it. But when you read the Gospel of Luke and all the passages about blessing and being happy, you'll find that that is the exact opposite in Scripture. In the Christmas story Beatitudes and the ones that are used, those people are all described similarly in this way. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are very much into blessing other people. So you can ask, you can tell yourself this, how do I know whether I'm living the blessed life? You can find out this, do you return God's blessings to others? Are you into their shalom? Are you into their being living the life that they were made to be living by him. See, a shared connection results in a shared happiness. Is your greatest happiness found in the happiness of others? Or is it totally inverted on yourself? One other thing I found, it's true, just in a general structural way about all the verses when you read them all together and study them a little bit. Blessing and loose gospel And I want to park on this one for a little bit. Blessing in Luke's gospel is often counter-cultural. I want you to actually read these with me. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. We're going to actually come back next week and do this entirety, Lord willing. I want to read you Luke's version of the Beatitudes. There are, out of the 25 uses of blessing and blessed, 10 are what commentators called formula I should say former, I can't even say the word. Thank you. Um, Beatitudes that are like in Jesus' list of the Beatitudes. So they would be formal. That's the word I'm looking for. Formal Beatitudes. Like blessed are you, blah, so forth. So let me read them to you. 620, it reads this way. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Luke's version of the Beatitudes is different. For you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Remember that phrase. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Notice the reversal, opposite, countercultural element of the quality of these beatitudes. It's not the rich, it's the poor. It's not the full, it's the hungry. See, it's not the people who are well-treated but mistreated. It's everything that is reverse of what you think in America would say is the blessed life. How can that be the blessed life? Because, read it for yourself, this is kingdom happiness. Kingdom happiness can happen whether things are good or whether things are awful. Because, again, it's not, listen, it's not 
situational. It's not what's happening outside you. It's what's happening inside of you. See, people who are kingdom and living out the kingdom blessed life have a different view of life. Can you circle in your Bible if you do that sort of thing? Look at the text. Blessed are you who hunger, what, now. See how he puts now, now, and then he's going to follow these four beatitudes. Look at the text. Four woes. The word woe, remember Isaiah said, woe is me. It's a word of divine judgment. You are being cursed and ultimately punished by God. So he's saying, you want to live the blessed life? Here it is. It's the complete opposite of what the world thinks and what anyone else but kingdom people would say that will make you happy. But you know what you're going to end up being judged for? It's everything on the blessed life list of people in this world. So I want you to think this way. The blessed life and the way that you live it out has eternal ramifications. Do you hear what he's saying? To live the world's blessed life and say that you know him is impossible. You can't live that way. Look what he says. It's so strong what he says. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. And you should put in there now. If you're rich now, you have received your consolation. And that reminds you of chapter 16, the rich man. You had yours. Remember what he said to Lazarus? Lazarus had bad. You had good in your lifetime. And by the way, that's all you're getting. Because you thought that was the blessed life. And it wasn't. You didn't live out. The Jesus Beatitudes. Woe to you who are full now. You shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who, the, woe which all speak evil or well of you, I should say. So it's the complete opposites of it. But the word now dictates it. Listen, here's how we need to live and teach our children to live. And by the way, there aren't very many things more important than this. We cannot teach our children by the way that we live, spend our money, and the lifestyle we have, that what we really want and what really will make us happy is everything the world offers now. It is very difficult for kids to say, I'll be popular later that I will sacrifice and deny myself now. It is unheard of, even mostly amongst God's teenagers. That I won't be cool now, that I won't be rich now, that I won't have everything I want now, that I won't have a girlfriend now, that I won't, that I won't be, have pleasure now, that I can put, no one wants to put off sexuality. No one sees themselves that way. You know why? We are not teaching our children, perhaps, what the true blessings and the true cursings of life are. There's a big, big difference between those two. We are raising a now generation, and only God knows what eternal ramifications may happen as a result of it. Some say you only live once, but the Beatitudes say, no, we live twice, and you better think about it. So let me show you this, and our time's almost up. Mary, in our text, is our first person who lived the blessed life. I want to show you real quick in 10 minutes I have. Let me say this. Look at the verses together. We're going to go back to chapter 1 and look at the blessed. In four times, verses, chapter 1, verses 39 through 48, the word blessed is used four times in keeping with the four times of the blessings and the beatitudes and the four woes. Here it's used four times again. 
And in chapter 1, verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, he was a priest, and greeted Elizabeth, his wife, who knew their elderly past age. God gave them John the baptizer, or is giving them him. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, here it is, famous line, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. So she, womb, she gives Jesus a blessing, she gives Mary a blessing, and she asks very humbly, why is it that it's granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. The word leapt for joy is only used two times in all the Gospels. And it's both in this book. Remember the first one we read? What did it say? When you are persecuted and people speak evil of you, remember the Beatitude we just read? It said, rejoice and what? Leap for joy. It's a kingdom happiness that you can't explain. When Elizabeth, who's carrying John the baptizer, baby baptizer, right? When she comes up to Mary and, and, and walks up to her, he knows, probably through the Spirit, that that's Jesus. As much as an infant baby could do before he's born, obviously something's going on there. And it says, he leaps for joy. You know why? He's going to be the forerunner to demonstrate people what kingdom happiness is all about. So his whole life is about making Jesus the center of everything. He must increase, I must decrease. Everything, his life, he doesn't have anything, he lives out in the wilderness. He's going to show you what it looks like when you, Jesus is everything, then the other things all take their place. And he is so different and so radically Jesus more than anybody that you're going to meet in Luke's gospel. I looked at Mary's life, and let me tell you this, her love and her happiness in living the blessed life as Elizabeth gives it, calls her that. She says later on that from now on, every generation, chapter 1, verse 48, will call me blessed. Why is she blessed? What does that mean for her? Situationally, she was a nobody socially. Nobody. She lived in Nazareth, a backwater town. There was nothing that anybody would ever, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Isn't that what they said? So she's nothing, nobody socially, so she shouldn't be happy, so to speak. She's nobody economically. They are so poor, her and Joseph, that they have to give doves when they dedicate Jesus at his circumcision. They don't give the normal offering that everybody would give a sacrifice of an animal. They can't. They can't afford it. There's a Levitical. Um, in Leviticus, you can have an option if you're dirt poor that you could give two turtle doves. That's all they could give. They are nobodies economically. They are nobodies politically if you ever read Luke, you'll find out that these chapters 3, in other words, they start out Caesar Augustus and so-and-so was ruling, blah, blah, blah. And these were the world shakers. She has the Son of God, the greatest person ever. She has no political power whatsoever. Read the Magnificent and tell me she doesn't know that. And she's a nobody spiritually because, listen, you know what she's going to do? She's going to do something by ask, God asking her to have Jesus that's going to make her a nobody spiritually because everybody is going to believe, except for Joseph, that she is an unwed mother, that she is pregnant and it wasn't moral. And that's why even Joseph, until he got divine revelation, was going to divorce her, but quietly. 
So on every level, situationally, she could never have true happiness. But here is a woman who the last beatitude, can I show it to you again? Here's what it says, verse 45. And blessed, Elizabeth said, blessed is she who believed, circle it, believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You've got to understand that when Mary doesn't understand what the angel's asking, she's confused, so she starts asking questions. She doesn't know, she's not like Zacharias, who in contrast, chapter 1, verse 20, circle the word believe again. It says, you're going to be mute because you did not believe the words from the angel. She believes the words from the angel. But let me tell you, when you live the, when you live the blessed life, the kingdom way, it will not be easy. And that's what scares adults off. That's what scares teenagers off. They don't want to live for later. They want it now. And if Mary said, this is my time to finally get something to make me happy, she definitely made the wrong choice. Even when Jesus is an adult, the religious leaders are saying, we weren't born of fornication like you, meaning your mom was lousy. And that's decades later. She lived with it her whole life. She risked being stoned, outcast, and everything that would happen with Jesus because of it. She knew it, but let me tell you this. She knew that she was blessed, and by the time Elizabeth's beatitude comes out of her mouth, She fully has understood because she spent time with her about God doing what he did in John the baptizer's life. She's seeing the picture more clearly. She understands it. And here's what she says to a blessed life that will be completely countercultural and do mostly harm to her as far as social things are concerned. She says, be it unto me according to your word. Can I tell you, she's a girl in a backwaters town and a teenager. That's who she is. She's not an adult. She hasn't got experience. She doesn't have anything to fall back on. Here's what she says. I'll take that blessed life. She understands what true happiness is. It says, she who believed the word. I, last thing. There are eight times in Luke's gospel where it talked about people believing. It's only used eight times. The religious leaders are some of them. The disciples are some of them. There's a woman that was also mentioned out there. In fact, there's a but I wrote them all down. You know, out of all eight of them, even the two about the soils, they did not believe so that they would be saved because Satan snatched the word. They wouldn't believe. They believed for a while, but then they would fall away. Jesus says to the guy, don't fear, only believe. The religious leaders don't believe. The disciples don't believe. The guy on the Emmaus Road, Jesus says, why are you so slow of heart to believe the Bible, what the prophet said? See, everybody in the entire Gospel of Luke is negative when they are confronted with believing what God says, namely Jesus. You know the only person who believes that's recorded with that word? Mary. The one who had the most to lose from it. The one who had the most that she'd have to sacrifice. But for her, obedience was the core of the blessed life, even if it cost her everything. Can I tell you that? That's someone who has found what real happiness is. That's the life we need to mirror to our family and to our kids. They need to see that it's our adherence to God's word because we believe it. Even if all the great results it promises don't happen now, And not till later, I will still follow. I will still find that 
as the blessed life. We used to sing a little kid's song. Maybe you remember. I don't know if you're old enough like me. Remember the song, Happiness is the Lord? Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his favor, having a change in my behavior. (laughs) Simple. Happiness is the Lord. Can I tell you this? Mary got happiness inside of her, and it changed her behavior. Jesus had become everything to her. And no matter what it cost her, she was going to live that blessed life. Are you? Is that what you're going to raise? Is that the goal of raising your kids? Is that what we're going to do as a church? If you want to know real happiness, real blessing, that's the path we choose. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us. We are bombarded with the deceptions and the lies of what real happiness is constantly by our world. We are told on TV and the internet, on magazine covers and billboards and on social media constantly that if I had this or I look like that or my body was shaped like that or if I had that money, if I lived here, if I was that famous, oh Lord, it's all just circumstantial, situational. It's outside. See, it's all about a connection We need that connection, and we need to get up and pray and read your word to strengthen that connection. That's why we do it every day, because we want to show people. We want to live lives that shows counterculturally that this, this is real happiness. That we can be blessed whether the song we sang tonight, whether you give or you take away, because it's not about circumstances. It's about the connection we have to Jesus. That's what does it. Oh, Father, may people see that. You have blessed us in Jesus. And may it make a difference in the lives of others, that they too might know the blessing of our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.